Hello and welcome to Eat, Race, Shower, Repeat. I'm Laura Winter, sports broadcaster, podcaster and cycling presenter. And I am Paul Foss, former professional cyclist for Bora Hansgrohe. This podcast will take you behind the scenes of one of the most successful World Tour cycling teams of them all, Bora Hansgrohe. We follow them as they take on the most emotionally and physically challenging bike races of them all, the Tour de France. Yes, we are working with team title sponsor Hansgrohe, one of the world's largest and most respected bathroom suppliers and manufacturers, featuring beautifully designed taps and showers of the highest quality, benefiting from the finest in German engineering. For four years now, Hansgrohe has been at the team's side as a reliable partner and together we will bring you exclusive insight from the team. The riders, the mechanics, the sports directors, the coaches and more for a unique look at the most beautiful sport in the world. In this episode, we are going to take a step back from the racing and look at an issue that is increasingly important within our society and our sport, mental health. To deliver the very best elite sporting performances, the riders must be in top physical shape, but it is also vital to ensure their minds are in good health too. We will be talking to Max Schachmann, Lena Kemner and Peter Sagan about pressure, media scrutiny and confidence. Team manager Ralph Denk talks about how the team support the riders. And coach Dan Lorang explains how he keeps the riders motivated and focused despite the extreme pressure of professional cycling. And we will also hear from team nutritionist Robert Gorgos, who talks about the risk of eating disorders in a sport which demands extreme weight management. So, Paul, um, it's such a complex issue, this, but let's start with the racing first of all. And we've had a lot to deal with through Bora Hansgrohe at the Tour de France. Buchmann went in trying to get the yellow jersey. He slipped out of contention. Max Schachmann had to come back from a broken collarbone to get into form for the tour. We've had disappointment for Leonard Kemner on stage 13 and then a win for him on stage 16. Peter Sagan, his fight for green and the media scrutiny, of course, after that relegation. There's been a lot to consider. Um, What's it like for riders within that bubble? I mean, it's starting already before the tour, you know, like you have to the races just before the tour and like especially when you're going for GC always the media has like an eye on you regarding like how you perform beforehand and yeah I mean you have a lot of interviews and so on and then when you're coming into the tour and you're not maybe performing the way you hope to and also like the media hope to then obviously they start to question you and like to question the team and everything and that happened a bit with uh, Bora Hansgrohe and this year's tour but they cope really well with it. And I think they kept a high motivation, you know, like in the team. And you could see the rider uh, racing throughout the three weeks that even after like losing the GC or like not being able to perform on the level they wanted to, they switched the focus and went for stage wins with like the climbers. And I mean, Lena Kemner showed that like you can come back from like a down and win on a big stage. And it's a lot of pressure like before already and then doing... And I think every rider is coping differently with it. And you can teach riders to compensate this pressure, but it's also up to the rider's personality, you know, how, how they can deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we asked the riders uh, a few questions about their own mental health and their experiences, certainly within the Tour de France this year. We first asked about scrutiny from the media and had a variety of answers, starting with Max Schachmann. Good question. Uh, actually, I forgot that I have the conference and I just finished lunch and I was on hurry to, to be here in time. So 
I don't really think about it. <laughs> okay, so today you hadn't thought about it, but are there other days when you do feel the pressure? Ah, uh, not really, because I think in the old times you probably felt pressure when you had to hide something. But actually, right now I'm just there, and uh, you ask me some questions, like all of you. Sometimes they're better, sometimes they're worse, but uh, I just answer like there's I don't know. And Peter Sagan. There's been much said about the sprint, the relegation in the Tour de France. How do you cope with the scrutiny and pressure from the media? Oh well, I think I have no pressure. I already won seven times green jersey. Then uh, if I gonna get one more or uh, I gonna lose it, uh, nothing changed for me. It's a matter of numbers. And do you read what is said about you? No, I don't watch media. They are always changing. You know what? Uh, what are they saying? <laughs> <laughs> it's better to don't watch that. And finally, Leonard Kemner. Right now, I feel pretty confident with it. I don't have too much pressure, not from the team side, also not from the media side. I think actually everything was quite okay. Nobody expected me to go here in the top ten or top twenty, so I didn't have so much pressure. Only to help him as good as I could. And yeah, in the first week, I. I couldn't really help him uh, properly because I was suffering from my uh, crashes. Now I would feel better. So I think now I could also do my job as I uh, wanted it. So from my side, everything was, was fine. Also from the pressure side, I didn't feel too high pressure. Uh, so, Paul, a variety of answers there. I think Max saying that he'd forgotten about the press conference altogether shows that he does seem to have a relaxed nature when it comes to the media. And as he said, absolutely nothing to hide and he's happy to talk to anyone. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, um, as I said before, every rider is coping differently with the media. And yeah, Max uh, obviously takes it quite easy. And for him, it's not like something which puts a lot of pressure on himself. So that's a good thing that might change in the coming years. But for now, like he's quite relaxed and is able to handle the media quite well. But I think it's also like because of this year with Corona, you know, you don't have to press at the hotel, so you're doing like the Zoom conferences or like uh, similar things, and it's a different style when you just to have to answer questions via internet than some like a journalist being there in person. You know where you can usually ask deeper questions. You know you have you have more like a longer talk. I think that makes also a big difference and I think this way of like press conferences and in general working with media, it's maybe not better for the media itself, but I think for the writers it's much easier, you know, because there's a certain time slot where they have time and then after that they're just going, you know, like there's no like you coming from the dinner to your hotel room and then maybe a journalist is waiting in the in the hallway, you know, and can ask a few more questions. It's much clearer and I think for the writers it's a lot better and easier to handle. Yeah, and that definitely comes across, doesn't it? They all seemed very relaxed when they spoke about it, um, even Peter Sagan as well. Of course, with social media now, everyone has the ability to be a pundit, to publish their words, even if they're in 240 characters on Twitter. And for Sagan, following that relegation, he'll have come under a huge amount of scrutiny. People will have been defending him. People will, will have been attacking him for that move on Wout van Aert, whichever way you stand on that relegation. Um, it seems, though, that he's very much just business as usual. He said there once again to us that, well, I've already got seven green jerseys, so there's no pressure on me and I don't read the media anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, you can ask him whatever question. He will always <laughs> reply with, I have won seven green jerseys <laughs> and I have no pressure. You know, he, he is successful since the first year of being a professional. So he has right now a lot of experience and also in general, he's a laid back guy. So I think he just doesn't care. I really do believe he doesn't care about what the media says, you know, even if they're like maybe punishing him in a way, he really doesn't care and does his thing. And I think he does it quite well. <laughs> but yeah, I think not every rider is as relaxed as he is, yeah. Um, the riders didn't give us a huge amount in terms of they weren't open in discussing mental health struggles or, or if they are struggling. Is there a culture within elite cycling, within elite sport, uh, and certainly with men as well, where they actually they feel they can't complain? They're in a job people would die for. They're living their dreams. And is there an element of we must remain tight-lipped so nothing gets taken out of context and we can't complain because we're doing what we've always wanted to do and we, we're living the dream? Yeah, I think it was more like that like some years ago you know like 10 years ago maybe but now you can see already at the press conferences after the stage finish you know when riders winning their first Tour de France stage to start to I have actually tears you know it's showing emotions you haven't seen that really in the past so I think there's like a change and riders are more open to speak about how they feel and to show their opinion especially when you like one of the leaders you don't want to give too much away you know towards your opponents you know you don't want to show them your weaknesses or you need to show strength towards the team so it's difficult sometimes for leaders to really show their like you know like how they how they feel in reality you know i think they have to play a game uh, most of the time and that makes a big difference but in general like for riders like lena kemner and mark schachmann you, who were there to support Emanuel buchmann you know they can be more open about their feelings and like about their emotions and I mean, Lena Kemner is uh, someone who comes from like North Germany, you know, they're always usually tight lipped and quite calm and cool. You won't get much out of him. But uh, I think for, for his standards, he, he was quite straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we also asked about bouncing back from disappointment. And of course, Leonard Kemner came so close on stage 13. He finished second to Danny Martinez and he was incredibly disappointed, but he had a good attitude to that, as you can hear. And that put him in good stead for that stage win on stage 16 as well. Here's what he said, though, before that stage. Start racing again. Eh? That's the only thing you can do. I was uh, actually in the evening, I was just hoping for the next day. I was like, okay, when we start the next day, I won't be disappointed anymore because then I can show myself again, uh, do my work and uh, get my head off this final. So uh, that was the biggest medicine for me. And Max Schachmann similarly chooses to focus on the positives in the face of disappointment. Yeah, in the end, you, I think it's the best to always focus on positive things. Like mostly in every situation, there's still something positive. For example, for me, it's positive that I'm not riding in last position every day with my broken collarbone. And like three weeks ago, I would have been happy with the performance I showed during the race. Of course, I wish it would have been better, but it could have been worse also. So I see the positive things and the season doesn't end after the Tour de France. There's still big races ahead and we have another week ahead of us. and we can still improve, do better than we probably expect right now. And I think that counts for everybody. And even if that's not the perfect year, we're going to have more years. 
Paul, I suppose the best thing about cycling is that there's always another race day, or usually another race day, to put things right. That's true, most of the time. And you, you get quite a few chances to turn things around. And yeah, I mean, Bo Hansko did it pretty well in this tour. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're losing the green jersey, then they're losing all the hopes in GC, and they bounce back quite impressively with like all the active riding during the race and then with the stage win on uh, stage 16 uh, through camera. So yeah, you have always another day to show that you are good. But the disappointment they had maybe was like, you know, they got second on the mountaintop finish to another world-class rider. So it's not like they got dropped and lost like 20 minutes. So that's a, it's a big difference. They knew they have the legs to actually win a stage. So there was just a matter of time where they actually get a chance to try it again. And it's a different thing when you're losing like a lot of time and you feel like, oh, I don't have the legs, but I have to get a result. Then it's a lot more pressure, you know, and that's, that's certainly, certainly a different thing. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about elite sport, isn't it? Disappointment can come in finishing second and not getting a win um, as much as it can come in, like you said, losing 20 minutes down the mountain because it's all about the absolute best and striving for perfection, isn't it? And that it's that drive and that ambition and that competitive nature that keeps bike riders coming back for more. That's true, but also, um, I mean, Borhansgrohe is a, it's a German team and the German mentality is a bit like you really like... Yeah, hyping the stars, you know, like your heroes when they're winning, but you're also pretty fast to like kick on them when they're not successful anymore. So as a German, you have to cope with that as well. And for years, we we're looking for like the man for the GC at the tour, and we have it now with Emanuel Buchmann. And um, I mean, so far the team is doing a good job to like support him media-wise as well. And Emanuel Buchmann is also really yeah, quiet and tight lip towards his reactions so I think that yeah that makes it for him a bit easier to like cope with this time he had maybe now you know like where he didn't perform the way he wanted to even though they have explanations for it you know like the crash at Dauphiné and so on but still um, they were fighting for the podium and in the end he got nothing and which doesn't mean he's not a good rider it just means like you know you have to try it the next time but so far they handled it quite well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, finally, we asked youngster Leonard Kemner about confidence as well for such a young rider. He gave a brilliant answer about how he trains it just as much as he trains his legs on the bike. Yeah, you're, you're training a lot before. So you have, you're training your self-confidence also. So you have to get in the best possible shape. And um, also when you see your teammates really going hard in the training, you also get motivated. And uh, when you then start racing, for example, in Dauphiné, and you feel like, oh, okay, I can perform with the best, then you start to grow a self-confidence, which is also really important. So, Paul, um, let's go in then. This isn't meant to be therapy, but maybe it will be for you. What are your experiences of mental health within elite sport and professional cycling? I mean, unfortunately, I never went to like a sports psychologist during my career. And afterwards, I, I felt that I should have maybe done it, you know, because I felt that I wasn't, it was not about focus, but it was just about like living with the disappointment, you know, like living with the own expectations and also the team, um, the team has also expectations, living with it and also like uh, dealing with it. So, and I didn't do that well during my career. Because I felt, okay, I had much more potential than I actually showed in like results. But that was also down to like uh, not being able to handle the pressure I gave myself, not necessarily the team. And so afterwards, yeah, I realized, okay, I should have gone to like a sports psychologist. 
I mean, after my career, when I started to work as like a sports director and uh, mainly with young riders, we started to work with like a sports psychologist and I took someone with us uh, to the training camps, you know, like we did like group sessions and also like as a sports director, I spoke to him how to deal with like disappointments, how to deal with like different characters. And I think it's a really important point in professional cycling. And it's not that common to use someone, but I think it's starting to become more popular because I know from other sports then they're working quite often with psychologists. And I think it's a really important part because it's not just about the legs, but also about your mind. You can be the best in the world regarding what's, but if you don't have the head to handle the pressure in a certain situation, then you will never win. And therefore, I think it's really important to use psychologists and not be afraid of going there. You know, it's not like in the past where I have the feeling, oh, I'm a weak person or a weak personality when I go to a psychologist. It's not about that, you know, like um, I think everyone has somewhere problems and it's always good to talk about it and to get it out there and clean your mind a bit. I think years ago, it certainly was the case that a psychologist meant a sign of weakness rather than necessarily a sign of strength, a sign of taking control of what's going on in your mind and harnessing it and using it in a positive way for performance. For you, how did that, in your own words, inability to deal with the pressure and the disappointment of cycling manifest itself in behaviours when you were training and racing? How How did you see it happening when you were in the middle of your career? I mean, training-wise, I sometimes took it too far, you know, like I felt I'm good enough to be there, but I tried to get more out of my body, which wasn't possible, you know, but I tried to like cover up the mental weakness I had with like more training and better diet, which I took to like an extreme where I was then too light. I didn't handle the pressure really well. And as I said, like I should have gone to like a psychologist and just speak about it, you know, and like sometimes it's, you know, like simple things like, asking yourself a certain question in a certain situation and then you realize what you have to do and I never had that and I think that really cost me like some years of my career and definitely some good results and if I work now with riders together I always uh, yeah, I'd suggest them when I see like they have maybe problems with like motivation or like how to deal with the pressure uh, to just go to like a psychologist and speak about it you know. Yeah, and it's brilliant now that you can actually use your own experiences to put good use for the next generation and and create happier, healthier, and therefore faster bike riders as well. How do you feel now looking back, having the awareness you do now? Are there regrets? Is it relief? How how do you kind of deal with it now? Yeah, there's certainly regrets. <laughs> I should have gone to like a psychologist back then, but I can't change it. I'm, and I'm really happy with it. How everything went, you know, I mean, I stopped my career and then throughout the years I learned a lot, you know, I grew as a person and I learned so much and I'm actually happy that I stopped my career so early because I'm still kind of young, you know, mid-30s. So <laughs> I'm still able to like do a lot of things and that I maybe will be able to if my career will have gone longer. So I have no regrets on like the point I stopped, but maybe regrets that I should have done something differently during my career, yeah. Well, we have also spoken to Bora Hansgrohe as well about how they deal with riders' mental health and indeed the mental health of the whole team as well. Here's Ralph Denk. Yeah, uh, mental health is very important. So, and 
We have a team coach that have special skills on it that, that, that help the riders in, in, in difficult times. But as well, also uh, the whole infrastructure, not just the, the coaches, the sport directors. And as well, the, the physiotherapists that spend a lot of time with the riders have influence on, on that. And we are aware every stress, every negative influence uh, from the riders. And that is uh, part of our strategy to think always positive to give him confident and stay optimistic. This is uh, what uh, we do in the whole team. In the case Buchmann, was good to have his coach, Dan Lorang, here. And Dan Lorang have, um, in the daily process of the team, not really something to do. He is just there to support the riders. One side uh, of the coaching, of uh, analyze the performance data, what they produce in the race. On the other side, to manage all the mental health issues to be there for the riders to support them and uh, in that case Buchmann was out of the general classification was very important to have his own coach here to support him in the best way and we also spoke to Dan Loring about how the team aims to handle the pressure of cycling from staff to riders so uh, in our team we have different approach to take care about the mental health of the riders so first of all It's the rider himself. So the rider has the possibility to do something on his own, for example, to work with a pop psychologist or to work on mental techniques or whatever he wants to do. I think that's something that is for him, is for his own. The second option is we have as a team also the access to a sport psychologist in the team. So it's not a sport psychologist who is in the team. He's an external person, but he's working together with our team. And he's there if you have some request. Also, if you want to have an advice about who could be a good sport psychologist for me, or um, if you want to speak about it it's for the staff, it's also for the riders, for the coaches, it doesn't matter. And uh, then, um, especially also with the riders, the coaches has a main part in this. So the coaches are nearly every day in contact with the riders. That's why they take care also about their mental health. So if they hear um, that there are some problems going on or on the private base or from the performance base or now during the corona time, for sure they try to help there and to consult the athletes what they can do and to present them some kind of solutions, how to come out of this. And um, the next point is we have uh, the sports directors also who have an impact on the riders. So they also have weekly contact with the riders. Then when they are at the races, uh, even more. So they have a different role as the coaches because the coaches are really close. And the sports directors, they are more a little bit more far away. That's why they have a different approach to consult them and to, um, yeah, for example, if the riders feel pressure during the race, during this specific stage, if he gets a specific task to help them to go over this and to manage this, they're the sports director um, having a really important role. The same for our doctors. And um, also they have a lot of talks with the riders during the race, during the training camps. But if you compare the topics change, so the riders tell different topics to the doctors, then to the DS, then to the coach. So that's why it's important to have nearly a group of people who take care and who try to uh, help the athletes to have a really good mental health and to deal with pressure or to deal with defeats and uh, to bring them also there to a really high level. And you've already mentioned it, Paul, as well, that you took eating and weight loss to quite an extreme level. It's not just racing and training pressures that can cause stress, anxiety and pain. 
Weight management is an integral part of cycling performance in a sport where power to weight ratio is very important. We spoke with Robert Gorgas, the team nutritionist, about eating disorders within cycling and the pitfalls that riders can fall into. Yes, I think this is a very important issue. And um, luckily, in the past four years I work in the team, we haven't had any big issues concerning this topic. Maybe also because we're not, or we're trying to not overstress the riders about weight and instead try to focus on health and, and the healthier approach to cycling. And maybe the weight is not the issue number one, but the priority number one is health. And I don't think we have any big problems within the team. Also, no real problems with riders achieving the goal weight. I think from what I know, we are pretty lucky concerning this. Because I have seen women or other cyclists go really crazy and kind of almost destroy their career with going like only vegan or low carb or anything other extreme and it never really works. And I've seen riders that didn't come back from this. They had to stop the career because they went too extreme and they destroyed kind of their metabolisms and never came back as strong as they were before. So this is, I think, also a little bit of my role that we have like a healthy approach. We do not prohibit any food. We have a very good quality of nutrition. We try to encourage the riders to eat um, organic and regional foods, what we also offer in the kitchen truck and during most races. And with this healthy approach, I think the weight control comes hand in hand and it's not a huge problem in our team. So, Paul, uh, what, what experience do you have then with the pressures of weight? You mentioned you, you took it too far. Yeah, I mean, I never experienced pressure from the side of a team, of any team I've been into. It was more my own pressure, you know, like I had like a certain weight goal I wanted to reach. And, you know, I never gained that much weight during the off season. So maybe like two or three kilos compared to other guys yeah, doing like five or six kilos or even more. And always before the tour, especially, I tried to get leaner and leaner, you know, to be... Uh, just faster up the climbs. But at one point I realized losing more weight doesn't necessarily mean I'm actually faster. I could feel then in the tour that I was really, really weak, didn't recover well. Throughout my own experience, I had to learn uh, that weight is important, but not the most important. You know, like you need to find the, the right balance and sometimes you can't find it on your own. So, um, I mean, back then, it's like 2014, 2015, you know, there were just a few teams who actually spent... Uh, a lot of money and also like hired people to look after that, you know, in teams. Since then has changed a lot and uh, also Boran's crew, everything has changed, you know. And now they have guys uh, like uh, Robert to speak with the riders, to look at what they have to eat and to balance it right. But yeah, I mean, I was on my own and then sometimes I balanced it right and sometimes not. So that was also like an experience I had to make. But also with that experience, you know, um, I can work now with like younger riders and to like um, yeah, teach to them like what's the right balance, you know, and not to to be too hard on themselves, you know, like regarding weight. Because sometimes losing 500 grams or one kilo is not that important, you know. It's maybe more important to actually gain weight because you're more powerful and you're happier in your in your mind, you know. If you're cutting away everything you like, for example, not eating Haribos, but you bloody love Haribos, I think... Not eating them, which maybe is good on a scale, you know, when you rate yourself. But I don't think it makes you necessarily faster because you you sacrifice 
something you really like and um, yeah, you, you need to find there the balance. I think it's all about balance in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's brilliant that you can actually use your experiences, especially with weight management now for these young guys who will be so ambitious and will want so much and will see that number on a scale as a goal to reach rather than necessarily actually a real balance point between good and bad health and speed on a bike. Um, retirement is another thorny issue in in the mental health of elite sports people. And we hear so often about um, sportsmen and women falling into depression when they quit their sport and seem to lose that big part of their own identity. What challenges, if any, have you faced in retiring from cycling? I was actually quite lucky because I love cycling, you know. I love the sport, I love the traveling and so on. So I never had the problem like to keep my weight after stopping my career. I actually lost a bit of weight since I stopped because I lost uh, muscle mass. But I know a few guys who like fall into like a hole, you know, like just stopped cycling suddenly and uh, gained a lot of weight, got health problems because of that. And, you know, as a rider, you, you're you doing so many Ks every year and so many hours on the bike. And suddenly you're just stopping that. I think your your body is just not able to, to cope with that. But I never had a problem with that because I like cycling too much and I like myself too much. You know, I, I don't know. I can't even imagine myself with like three or four kilos more. I, I don't want to buy everything new, you know, like I don't want to buy... 10 new pair of jeans or something just because I gained some weight and being like a yo-yo or so. No, I, I didn't have really a problem with it. Um, I still feel that I'm kind of like competitive, you know, like at least on the level I'm now. And I want to keep that because cycling makes much more fun when you actually fit. So being fit is kind of like a privilege, you know, because you need to have the time for it. You need to have the right job and the possibility to keep yourself fit. And I, I feel like uh, I have the privilege and therefore I'm using it and I'm happy so I can do it, yeah. That's all you can ask for, isn't it? A bit of happiness. That's really lovely to hear, especially uh, post-cycling career where so many can can feel a bit lost when they no longer have their sport. Exactly, yeah. As I said, some people are falling into like a hole and they hardly get out of it, you know, they start maybe drinking or doing whatever. But yeah, I'm I'm in a happy place there. And even now, like I, I realize even more that cycling is such a big part, you know, and uh, I need to keep riding because it just makes me personally happy. And therefore, the people around me, I think, are also happier if Paul is happy. <laughs> yeah, it's a happy podcast. Absolutely. Oh, thank you, Paul. And that's it for this episode. But a huge thank you to the riders staff and to you as well, Paul, for speaking so openly about mental health, how the team supports the riders and the complex issues, as you've heard, that can arise in elite sport. And thank you to Peter Saga, Maximilian Schachmann, Lena Kemner, Dan Lorang, Robert Gorgas and Ralf Denk. And a big thank you to you all for listening as well. Please continue to follow the team on social media at Bora Hansgrohe on Twitter and keep up to date on the Hansgrohe channels too, at Hansgrohe. You can find me online too at paulfoss86. And I'm on at Laura C. Winter. If you've got a question, please get in touch and send them in. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode of Eat, Race, Shower, Repeat. And leave a review as well if you like what you're hearing. We will be back for one more episode reflecting on an extraordinary Tour de France that had just about everything and we'll be welcoming special guest Matt Stevens. Yes, we'll look back on the key stages for Bora Hansgrohe in both the battle for the green jersey and the yellow jersey from the controversy the disappointment and the exhaustion to the teamwork the happiness and the joy at the tour we will see you then bye for now bye